So hello and welcome to those Vicar blokes. It's a bit of a long episode today, so apologies for that. I got overexcited about things. So we'll be quick now. We'll be quick. It? We'll yeah. be quick. So, so Dave, I didn't get to tell you all my holiday stories now. Yeah, well, you've got some good holiday stories. Something good. Uh, something good. All right, exciting. Um, I lived off. Um, have you got the Too Good to Go app? No. You need to get the Too Good to Go app. So on Too Good to Go, you get a list of local places that generally towards the end of. Uh, a dinner service or a or a day, depending on what it is. Um, they offer the food out cheap at the end of the day. So <laughs> I lived something cheap. I lived off too good to go and menu of the days. What in Spain? In Spain. So um, <laughs> so and there are loads of them available where we were compared to here. <laughs> You're just so, like you're just like three star all the way, you know. Uh, you get some really good <laughs> stuff at a bargain price. Oh, God. Um, so that is my my tip of the day. Too good to go up, um, and don't be frightened to try menu of the day when you're abroad. Fair enough, then. Okay, so you you had a nice time in Spain. Then. I had a really good time in Spain. Yeah. Excellent. So what were we on about on this uh, on this one today? Don't. If pop- you not, did you miss me? Not really. No. Oh, okay. That's no, what you're not, not really. Yeah, no, okay. not really. Fair I enough. Sort of. I don't know what I've been up to. Just doing bits and bobs. Um, oh yeah. I went. I went to the gym yesterday, right on the day off, right. Yeah. And you know, I do that exercise class that measures how much effort you put in. Yeah. And you know, I got that bloke who's the competition. Yeah. Right. And at the end of the class, they put up on the screen all your stats, and you've got to look at the MEP number to see who's got the most MEPs or effort yeah. points. Right. Is I've been for about six months, something like that, to this this thing, right. So I do it, right. Hundred and sixty-five. And he was really thought, because I've been for ages, he could beat me. 163. Two in it. He was gutted. I was laughing so much. He just went there. So he went, oh, dear, oh I can't dear. say about it. Like, so, it? You know, I'm not sure that this competition's very Christian, but still. Well, I thought it was a good laugh. Don't worry about that. Anyway, what are we on about? We're on about um, Samuel Wilberforce. Samuel Wilberforce and um, the education system with that. The deceit of biology. The deceit of biology. Yeah. Um, we talk about what it means to be part of a wider story. Yeah. Um, for and the length course. For the length course. And then we talk about the Channel 4 documentary on the miners' strike. Yeah, so that was a bit of, a bit of social history for me. It took me back to my childhood. So hold on to your hats for the music. Right, so we're carrying on with our heroes of the faith. He's not really an hero, this bloke, really. No, he? he's not much of a hero, is he? No, he's a bit of a zero, isn't he? Let's be honest. Well, I wouldn't say he's a zero. What I'd say is that um, he's more of an ordinary person of faith without necessarily a magnificent bit in his story. Yeah, he's he's a kind of... Um... Yeah, the guy we're talking about... I mean, he did set up a theology college, This, you know. He did? And... Um, and he he did he was bishop of somewhere and dean of somewhere else. Yeah, dean a, of Westminster, wasn't he? Dean of Westminster. Yeah. So the bloke we're on about is Samuel Wilberforce, who is uh, was known as Soapy Sam. Soapy Sam, because yeah. he used to wring his hands like he was like that. So he's what he called he uh, a Tory bishop from the nineteenth century. So he was around uh, in the middle of the nineteenth century, towards the end of the nineteenth century. He's William Wilberforce's son, isn't he? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so he's, he was opposed... The fifth child, but the third son of William Wilberforce. So there was two girls in there somewhere. Yeah. Because this wiki account was a bit confusing because it said the third <laughs> son, and then further down it said the fifth child. And yeah. I was like, hang on a minute. What? <laughs> yeah. so I had to go back and work that out. Well, I did give Dave, Dave some homework to do in reading this wiki article about Yeah, you sent me a message, so... didn't you, saying, Dave, do your own work. Dave, do your own work, yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. So the reason I put this guy in is um, basically because I'm a scientist and I'm interested in the history of science and the history of um, how we developed our, particularly in biology, because I'm an ex-biologist. And this guy, uh, Samuel Wilberforce, was also as well a big noise in biology in the 19th century, right? 
So to explain this properly, you have to think about GCSE biology. Do you remember GCSE biology, Dave? Well, um, I did single science at GCSE. You did which, what? Which meant that, that basically I got a third of a GCSE in, in, in the three disciplines of science. Right. So, so it's not as if I did much biology study, to be fair. So you did the single award one, did you? Uh, yeah. It was, it was like you had the most you could oh, get it was a C or something. No, right? no, no. It just, whereas ordinarily you'd choose double or triple science. So yeah. you, you so you do end up doing two thirds of what would be the, or, or, or a complete GCSE in each of the sciences. Yeah. Mine, mine was single science. So you only end up with a third of a GCSE in each scientific I'm, I'm, discipline i'm not going to talk about that at all because my wife did that so i'm not going to say anything at all about that whatsoever well it, <laughs> yeah yeah but i i'm not very good at english as uh, as we've already discussed this morning but uh yeah so basically when you do gcse science right or biology when you talk about evolution this guy comes up because he's very very famous not in the church but he's very famous in biological yeah. circles okay and he's part of this um, whole evolution thing. So um, the real story of Soapy Sam is he was a member of the Royal Society, okay, which is the premier British uh, science association, yeah. which was started in the 17th century. Okay, so it was started by Robert Boyle and a bunch of other uh, scientists who were all devout Christians, right? And at the time... If you were a bishop, you had a lot of time to spare, which seems a bit strange now. Yeah. So a lot of them were kind of into other things. So this guy, Soapy Sam, was into politics and as well he was into uh, science as well. And he was a big devotee of evolution, okay? But not Darwinian evolution. He was into something called Lamarckian evolution. Right. So is this ringing any bells about giraffes and things? No. No, not at all? No, I know some of the Darwin stuff. That was definitely taught at school. But I don't think any counter bits were taught because, you know, we didn't need that for the single science paper. Uh, well, how, it, how it's taught is the story is when you start doing evolution, even at, uh, it's in the year six books as well, right? Right, okay. Because I've taught evolution at uh, in year six level because uh, my son's year six teacher said that Christians can't believe in evolution. So my son, being helpful, turned around and said, my dad's a biologist. And she said, no, he's not. And then she, he said, yes, he is. And then I was the science advisor for the school. Right, okay. So I went in and did an afternoon on evolution, which kind of the kids liked, but she felt a bit silly about, I think. But there we go, right. Um, but it starts off in the, the text box for kids to say that before uh, the bloke called Lamarck, who was around in the 18th century, Everybody thought that God sort of like magic things into existence, yeah, right, in six days and all that, right, which kind of isn't true. Uh, and then this bloke Lamarck came along and he said that things have changed over time, like that bloke uh, Steno was on yeah. the other week, right. And what he said, Lamarck, is that say a giraffe has got a long neck because a giraffe really stretches really hard yeah. to get the leaves from the top of the tree, yeah? yeah? And then over time, they stretch so much, these giraffes, that they end up with long necks. So the more an animal does something, right, that actually changes how the animal is, and over time, they develop into a different animal because they're doing the same thing all right, the time, Right, okay, yeah? yeah? Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So that was the evolution that was around for about eight years, maybe not eight years, like 60 years before Darwin. And the Royal Society fully endorsed that. That was like the big science at the time. And Soapy Sam was like dead behind that because he was a scientist and he wrote like scientific papers about um, Lamarckian evolution. Yeah. All right. But in this thing that happened in the middle of the 19th century called The Great Debate and this is in the biology books, is the biology books say that Soapy Sam uh, was against evolution because he was a Christian and because he was a bishop, right? And this other guy uh, was known as Darwin's Rottweiler, who was um, Huxley. Mm. He then had a go at him, and they had a, 
Huxley came back with this retort about he'd rather be descended from an ape than from a bishop. And apparently everybody laughed and then there was this big debate. And that was the end of, you know, yeah. the end of it. You know, Christianity was destroyed by Huxley in the great debate by saying he'd rather be uh, descended from uh, an ape than a bishop. And uh, that was it. But all of that is BS. I remember I told you, I think we put it on a podcast a few months ago about that uh, plaque that's outside the Oxford Museum yeah. of Natural History. Yeah. So and you have atheists go there to touch the plaque. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason I put this guy in as a hero of the faith, really, is what bothers me about it is why is it that what we're taught in school and what we're taught in society by films, um, the media, everything, is just BS and nobody cares. Well, I think it's because it's not about proving anything. It's about being anti-something. All right. You want to say that? Yeah. I think, I think that People of faith have needed to be painted as anti-something by other groups when the reality is that they're anti-faith. So it doesn't work for their narrative to say, yeah, this, this person has a really informed view of this particular aspect of it, but it doesn't agree with mine, so I'm going to blame that on the fact they're a Christian and therefore they're anti whatever it is I believe in. Yeah. It can't yeah. be just that they're they're informed. It has to be there has to be an excuse for why they think that. And the excuse is born out of the ignorance of the accuser and not of the accused. Yeah. Because in science really there's always we used to joke about it. We used to say the current dogma is right. So if we were talking about like a scientific theory, we used to joke and say, oh the current dogma is this because what tends to happen is there's a kind of a way of thinking about something. So, like, when I did my degree in biology, everything was genetic, right? Everything was down to genetics. doesn't matter what it is. It was all Darwinian genetics, the yeah. end, right? And basically what happened was there's something now called epigenetics, which is when I was working in research, was seen as, like, heretical. That's rubbish. Epigenetics, right. absolute load of rubbish doesn't affect anything. And then just after I finished, um, it turned out that epigenetics was true. And then everybody forgot that everybody was against it. Yeah. So that's how science works, if you see yeah. what I mean. There's a big battle between ideas, and then the idea that wins out, right, everyone goes, oh, yeah, I never so, not believed that. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, Soapy Sam's argument really was that that Darwin hadn't done his research well enough to actually prove his theory. Yeah. And he thought it was crackpot because there was no logic to the to the the evolutions. Yeah. And 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 actually that's kind of in some ways that's where my mind goes on the Darwin stuff because as far as I can tell any genetic DNA change mm. is not it's not proved as positive and they can never explain the change. Well, so it, it's, it's reliant on something turning upside down in it from us to an ape. Therefore, would we improve? Or would we, or would we not? Well, we do. That's the difficulty but most, for me. Most mutations, like genetic mutations, are just they kill you straight away. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what most I mean. of them do. Right, ninety nine over ninety nine. Or leave you with that. less function than the yeah. species that that's right. that, that the mutation happened from. But very, 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 very occasionally, you'll have one which is good. Right, right, and then that one is then selected. So that's what it is basically, and there's not a lot of difference genetically between um, humans and, and apes. No. But the joke is, you know, I said about the, the Mark thing, about him yeah. reaching out with his, his the giraffe's necks yeah. and things, right? And the more you do something, that effort is then passed down to your descendants. That's what epigenetics is, right? Is what we found was that Lamarck was actually right as well. 
So Darwin was right and yeah. Lamarck was right. But it took 150 Well, two years. things were true at the same two time. Two things were true at the same time. I think I've heard you say that before. Yeah. So the thing is, is the weird thing with the Soapy Sam thing is that both of those scientists were actually right. And in 150 years, they'd both be proved right. But for 150 years, we thought that Lamarck was a load of rubbish. And I was taught in GCSE that Lamarck, Lamarck was a load of rubbish. In, G, in degree, a load of rubbish. And then when we did our genetics, we found out that Lamarck was, was right. That was the weird thing. But we see that in humans anyway, don't we? We see the Lamarck theory. Yeah. Um, you know, um, people in different places are born with different um, strengths based on the labours of their ancestors. Exactly. That's what. So it is actually a sensible idea that people who... Uh, live in an agricultural society where they have to use a lot of strength all the time to do things, have stronger children. Yeah. Yeah, because they've used their strength. So it is kind of common sense in a way, but that was then dismissed for 150 years, and then we found out that actually it's true. We found out with um, uh, people, and it came up in the, we did the Holodomor thing in, um, Holodomor's the Ukrainian famine, isn't it? Right. Right. And because they starved so much in Ukraine, right, is that uh, ability to process food more efficiently, right, is then passed on. So Ukrainians, who were survivors of the famine, actually have a bit, are better at um, uh, metabolizing food than other people. Oh, uh, right, okay. And they found the same thing in Sweden as well. So it is right. Yeah. But I think the thing that bothered me really is right at the heart of our education system is something that's just not true. Yeah, but I think you're really harsh on that. Why is that now? Well, because I think... A conspiracy theorist. <laughs> because I think that the people who write the curriculum and who write the textbook genuinely believe it to be true and it's not as conspiracy as you think it is. I don't think they... It's only the general view that they're putting in. I don't think it's a conspiracy. I don't think they think, oh, this is a load of rubbish, but I'll put it in anyway just to prove my point. I think it's actually the opposite. I don't think there's a conspiracy. I think it's just lazy. Yeah, but... I think it's just... The, but the, when you take it from the education system, there's only time to teach it in one way. Otherwise, you don't get a, a general certificate of secondary education. We become specialists earlier on. So I do think that there's an element that that perhaps we caveat with this is one of the theories, this is the most common theory at this time, but maybe. But I don't think there's maybe a maybe when you specialise. I don't think there's a need in the biology curriculum to put in the put in the great debate. Just take it out because it didn't happen. Oh, that's true. Do you see what I mean? I don't mean about Lamarck and all that. You can just say you can teach it like that. And say, oh, we thought it was Lamarck and. And then we found out it was Darwin, but actually now we think it might be both. You can yeah. put that in, right? But today we're going to talk about Darwinian evolution and this is what we're going to do. Right? Yeah. But what I'm talking about is a bit like with the Steno thing. Why is it hard hardwired into our education system, these stories that just aren't true? And I think the reason they're there is because the people who write the curriculum were told these stories and they just believed them. And people have just believed them and they haven't questioned things. So I think the problem is that people don't question things. So the the um, the stereotype is that Christians are all indoctrinated and they never question their faith, they never think about their faith, they just blindly follow what they're told. And I think that's true for a lot of Christians. I think that's true for a lot of people. Yeah. But I think questioning things is difficult and hard work and what have you and things like that. And it goes against the grain for human beings, right? Yeah, but now we've got to listen to the opinion of whoever down the pub and yeah. whoever on Facebook. I think I think the waters are even more mudded than they were before. I think you're right. But I think the thing is with it is that the people who are actually running our education system have written these books and, and all the people who believe all this stuff really they've never questioned it because like why would they right yeah but i think it's incumbent to us to actually 
vociferously question this stuff and point it out because it's just it just bugs me that stuff that isn't true is being taught and it's a it's remarkable how many of these bishops and significant christian people actually were the the pioneers of or or heavily involved at least in in the debate some pioneers some just heavily involved but they most of them yeah and most of the the scientific revolution comes about through christian well, that's people. because faith and life can't be separated exactly but i think the thing is with it is the story we're told in school about faith and science is the opposite of what the real story is and i think that's really wrong and yeah. i think that's that's the trouble and i think that you know, it feels good to believe that other people are stupid, and I think that's what's behind it. Yeah. You know. So that's our um, hero-ish of faith today. Uh, Soapy Sam will put the, his wiki in. And at some point, we'll get some hero-ishes of the faith who weren't so scientific. Yeah, well, that's the last one. All the other um, ones aren't. Like, next week, we're going to be talking about the... Over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about heroes of the faith, which are... Um, who brought the faith to Britain. So, uh, St. Chad, St. David, St. Patrick, all sorts of things. I found a really good thing for you to watch on St. Patrick as well. Have you? Yes, on Netflix. It's one of them romance films it was advertised last a, night. A, a, a what, sorry? A romance film. R- r- romance? Romance. Um, I'm yeah. sorry, I don't understand that word. I'll have to Google it. <laughs> it's got Lindsay Lohan in it. Has it? Yeah. She was, uh, yeah. You know Lindsay she was Lohan. In, yeah, she was in Herbie. She's been in loads, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 That was That's the first one that popped to mind that she was in. Is Herbie. It? Yeah. All right, okay. With the new Beatle. Right. So in a minute we'll be talking about uh, our Lent course and entering into the into entering into the Easter story. So thanks for listening to those Vicar blogs. I've sorted the merch out. I've got the merch done. Yeah. Yeah, so if you want to buy the merch, right, details will be in the description about um, where you can get it from, not this week, but next week, hopefully. But I'll see what I can do, okay? But we should, we've got a design for it, so I'll put the design in the description, I think, and then we can have a look at it to see whether you want to buy it or not. So we can do hoodies, and we can do uh, mugs, and we can do T-shirts, Okay. So if you'd like to uh, have a look at it, I think the T-shirts are about 25 quid. So have a look at that. Okay, so on our Lent course at uh, Froomside and in Yate this year, we're doing something called Entering Into the Easter Story. And um, the first session is Entering Into a Story. And then it goes on about Palm Sunday... Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then Easter itself. Goes on about. Goes on about. Goes on about. Yeah, he goes good on choice, about. Good choice of sentence there, mate. That's really encouraging. He's rattling on about yeah. <laughs> droning on about the Easter story again. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Um, so, but I really love... Well, because what we're doing is we're doing the Trigium, in we, this year. So we're doing um, the, the Holy Week liturgies. And... Um, I just find them so moving, really. I've always yeah. loved them. Yeah, so the idea is that that instead of it just being something that washes over us and that we might go to and not really fully understand, is that we're going to go to it in, in, in with our hearts and our minds set in the place to understand where we fit into that that story. Really. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. asking, because the Easter liturgies are like the Palm Sunday one and, and all the others, the quest, what they're trying to do is allow us to enter into a story. So that's what the first session is about, is how do we enter into the story? So the first question on it is about a family story, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, do you have a family story that's funny or good, entertaining in any way, Dave? No. None at all? No. All right. None that my family would be pleased for me to share. Well, uh, that's true. Yeah, fair enough. Uh. But people do do family history, don't they? People do look at their family history. They do look at where they're from. Um, you know, I, I have looked at, you know, where my dad lived, where my grandparents had lived. I've been to visit the graves of um, my mum's family. 
um, English Bickner that at various points has had a checkered history of whether it's England or Wales or what have you. Yeah. Um, you know, in the forest of Dean there. Um, that does explain a lot about my family because well, it's the forest of Dean like, yeah, and we've got, got dodgy genetics, yeah. <laughs> Normal for the forest. Um, and so I've, I've looked at that and, and I've been to see those places and it does link you to, to the past um, and it does link you into your family and it does give you some understanding of where you came from and how you got to where you are. Um, but there's been no great road trip or excitement on the way, um, which no. is a shame because it would have been nice to have a great road trip or excitement, but it's just things that have happened gradually that you dig into. Yeah, yeah. And I think as well is that, like, um, I suppose, like, when I take my kids to Aberdeer sometimes, you know, because it's somewhere that they, they don't live or ever, and we go around some of the heritage sites there and we explain about the the history of, like, in Aberdeer Park, there's a, a statue of this woman, right? And Andrew thought it was, like, uh, Mary, right? And I said, no, it's not yeah. Mary, it's industry. But she had, like, it basically looks like a virgin, the virgin mother, right? Yeah. But at the bottom, there's all these, like, cogs. Oh, right. So it's a statue to industry. Right. So you can think about, so you take a back there to say, like, this is the heritage of this place is industry. So they, in a sense, worshipped industry because it's the thing that gave them their wealth and their community and everything else, yeah. really. That's why you have this statue. It's deliberately to look like a mother. So the idea is the factory is the mother that looks after you sort of thing. That oh, was the, right. um, interesting. Yeah, that was the idea that, um, that the factory was a family or a mine was your family and that provided the wealth for the area and stuff and things like that. So we, we talk about that as part of our family history, you know. Yeah. But you've always lived around you, isn't it? So it's kind of, yeah, you know, so at least my kids then can feel some kind of connection to their heritage, even though they don't live there, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And I think that's what I was trying to get at in that question. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think when I led the sessions on Monday... Most people had, had, you know, an interesting story about what they'd seen, where they'd been, how they'd connected, how they'd gone back to visit houses that they'd grown in, grown up in, or that even that their parents were born in. And, you know, it was it was quite fascinating. In fact, I pass. I pass Wendover. It's, it's a nursery now. But Oh, you're ringing. Oh, no, I'm still connected to my... Oh, dear, just a minute. Sorry, I was my builder and I still had my... Yeah, yeah, the Bluetooth my speaker was... Yeah, yeah I was playing my music earlier. Sorry about that. There we yeah. are. So, so I regularly pass the place where I was born. It's, it's you know, it's, it's on the road that I live on now, but further back along it. Oh, right, Same, yeah. same bit of road. Um, and so I often point at it and say, oh, I was born in there. But it's a, it's a nursery now for... Little, yeah, kids. little kids. Oh, it used to be a maternity hospital. Yeah, it used to be a maternity hospital, yeah. Ah. Um, but, but that's the thing. So there is a, there's a history, isn't there? There's a, yeah, so, yeah, and it's important to us. Yeah, so what I was trying to get over, I think, is that human beings are created by stories, really, and these stories are really important to us and give us a sense of identity and enable us to kind of act out the story in our lives. Yeah. So the... There's more to stories than just words on a page. They're actually about entering into them. So I did the example of the opening of the Houses of Parliament yeah. by the, the king and that. So why do you think I put that in? So the, the, the question I ask about it is, why do we bother having a state opening a parliament? Why do we just have a constitution like everyone else? Well, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because there's so much history and what happens and and why it happens and all of the reason for it. Um, it's it's you'll you'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Link it. But so there's this searching of the cellars just in case anybody gets a Guy Fawkes type idea yeah. to blow the place up where where the old boys who do it are rewarded with half a glass of port. I'm going to sign up for that when I retire. <laughs> um, there's a an MP taken hostage just to make sure that the king's returned 
Um, mind you, it was a pretty low-grade MP, so I'm not sure that was enough incentive. But, oh, right, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that and there's and there's that, and then there's a, a root and the door slammed in Blackrod's face, you know, as a a mark back to the the um, Charles the First stuff. It's all it's all steeped d- in history that is relived and reenacted. Um, every time that state opening of parliament happens, you know. Yeah, and I, but what's better? Why why do we bother doing all that? Because like I know it's good, like whatever. But what? Why do we just have a constitution like the Americans and the French? What's the difference? Because it shows that what we've got is through a lived experience. Right. So say, if you were to write a constitution. You you wouldn't necessarily start from here, I suppose. How do we get to where we want to be? Well, I wouldn't start from here. Yeah. So yeah, you yeah. start on your blank piece of paper and you write all the things that you think would be the best things, and then you'd agree on those. Um, but they but they wouldn't necessarily pay any acknowledgement to how you got to the starting point. Yeah. And I think as well, it's you're right. It's sort of embodied in it. Is that it's a living thing that we are part of. So it's not that a long time ago, um, Charles I tried to break into the Houses of Commons and there was a civil war. It's actually remembering that, yeah, and then uh, us reenacting that, so we can be part of it. So we don't have another civil war. Yeah, you know, we don't do another. You know, we. The thing was searching the cellars and what have you. We remember Guy Fawkes. We don't do the same thing again. So we kind of act out this drama so that we then don't fall into a civil war and a revolution and we remember who we are. Yeah. That's the thing. And it's public, isn't it? It's not a few people squiddled away. You know, it is that uh, when he does, King does the speech, it's in front of all the lords, all the judges. Yeah, know. and televised on the BBC. And if you click the wrong link, you end up with one hour and 38 minutes of it on, on you know, to watch. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a process and a, and a drama that we see lived out. And... and it tells the king he's not in charge because he doesn't re- write the speech, does he? No, he doesn't write the speech. But then that's a whole different... But that's the whole point, isn't it? That the king is there with all his regalia and what have you, and he's got to do what the what the government tell him. Yeah. So it's actually which actually makes me really uncomfortable in lots of ways. Why is that? Well, because it's not what the government tell him, is it? What he ends up reading out is a wish list of the party that's in power. Well, yeah, but that um, is the that is what. But yeah. Um. And I, I was uncomfortable that, uh, at the last one when I watch him practically squirming at what he's saying. Yeah. Um, That's the whole point, isn't it? Because he's not in charge. He's got to read. He might arrive in a big coach. He's that, got to read what half a dozen people have thought is that... Yeah. You know, I don't... When I watched the last one, I don't think that that was what the people of the nation wanted. No, 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 but it was the people who... But then, if we were still doing the news, I'd be saying we're overdue on a general election. Yeah. but they This five years has seemed like a really long five years. Yeah. But going back to the uh, Easter stuff and the entering into the stories, that that gives us a sense of who we are as British people, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's not something that we own in this generation. It's something that goes back hundreds yeah. of years because we are a nation that's a thousand years old. You know, the English nation is yeah. a thousand years old. Welsh is even older, which is quite unusual in the world. When you think about Belgium's only like, what, 200 years old? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's interesting that that's. Yeah. So. You know, if you think about, you know, um, parts of Ukraine. They've been conquered and unconquered, and like the the guy is coming to the Ukraine thing on the weekend. He's like, it, his town. It was Romanian. It was Polish. It was Lithuanian and Ukrainian and Soviet, all in the last like three hundred years. So yeah, they just go okay, fine. And a lot of places are like that. Yeah, you know. So I think it's sense of that sense of continuity that we have uh, as British people uh, or English people. It's, it's quite interesting, you know. So it's different performing it. The point I was trying to make is different performing it 
to writing it down to just reading it. Yeah. Um, well, where that comes from is the Passover, because the next bit we look at is the Passover. We read out the Passover narrative where the Jews were in slavery in Egypt and they had a Passover meal uh, just before they escaped. And every year then, the Jews do a Passover meal, don't they? Yeah. Right? To remember that they were in slavery in Egypt and then were set free by God into the promised land. So why do you think they have to remember it by doing something, like having a meal, rather than just going, just telling a story or reading a story? I think it... Because it becomes multi-sensory, it then impacts us more. Okay. Um... I think we underestimate multi-sensory things. So hearing a story is great, but actually being able to see something that enables you to understand the story is better. Um, to feel like you're part of a living story is therefore better still. And because it's their history, but it's also who they are and what they are, then to relive it, to to remember it in an intimate way and to it not be about a story about somebody else but to be a story then that is about you um and that, that you are able to well in in the case of passover to give thanks for for multiple generations to acknowledge the fact that actually y you wouldn't exist without it um yeah it is is it is who we are yeah, and I think that what's happened in society over the last few hundred years, well, or really, no, no, over the last like, 50, 60 years, what we've done is we've had this sort of impulse to bin everything that's old that gives us that sense of identity, like Passover, um, the state opening of Parliament, whatever it is, and say, oh, that's old, that's rubbish, get rid of it, it's old-fashioned. It's antiquated, that's what they say, isn't it? Yeah, but... And I'm, in doing that, we've thrown away our whole identity about who we are. But I'm having a conversation at the moment about Remembrance Parade. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a bit early, isn't it? So, a bit early, yeah, but that's because what we did last year just didn't seem to quite work for the oh, people right, that attended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not that they moaned about it, it's that we moaned about it. Okay. Um, Because... We had loads and loads of the young uniforms with us. From, oh, right. You know, the, from various sections. And it's like we're not any longer telling the story of what happened. We're remembering something where the story seems to be lost and disconnected. Okay, yeah. Um, so our conversation is going along the lines that um, one of my colleagues and myself are going to try and um get those uniform people more involved mm. so as we'll go in early we'll sort out what what it was and why it was important and do that teaching and then encourage them to be more part of the act of worship and the act of remembrance mm. um by helping to lead that through telling the story in their way as opposed to the words that we've always used so it's not that we want to lose the words that we've always used but that they've somehow lost their significance because the story is is losing its relevance to the new generation think, and we want yeah. to refine that relevance because it is their history and it does affect them and you know it, it was life-changing and country-changing and so we're trying to work out how we get that how we maintain the relevance yeah otherwise it's just kids who come to church because they're expected to yeah because for a bit, bit longer than they probably should be there once a year yeah i think that's a good point actually well that's a good example of a tradition that's evolving because traditions always have yeah. to evolve so the passover we have today isn't exactly the same as what was done thousands of years ago but it, it's got a bit like evolution, it's got the same DNA strand that runs all the way through, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that's what tradition is, is something that's living. And I think that um, with remembrances at the minute, as the oldest people who are part of the Second World War have died off, uh, 
it's going to change into a different thing. And also as well, it depends where you are in the country. So when I was in Shropshire, because we had a, an army barracks in the town and they were on deployment in Afghanistan and they were getting killed, it yeah. changed the whole sense of 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 what it was. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but that's particular to that place. But what's, it? Yeah. what's interesting about that is that because we're in an area that's seen a lot of movement of people, um, the names that are on the war memorial, they don't feel like the village names anymore. Oh, yes. But when you look at the history of it 60 years ago, those were the families that occupied the village. Yeah. You know, the village lost members of each of the families that made it up. Yeah. Whereas... The, the, it, the integration of more people and the growth of the village, and you know, it, it somehow loses that sense a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, because it's not. It's but not we tried to recapture that, didn't we, on remembrance? With well, I know that the, the builders and the designers started it, but we jumped on the back of it the fact that Latin Garden Village is named after those people who were local, and so that enables people to buy into that story because it's there and that's why if you live on reed road for example or you can then feel a connection to the person charles reed because it's your road right where you live and this person lived in this town before and he died in the battle of the somme or whatever he did i've got now but then but you know the story and then you feel that sense of connection and that's the power of stories and that's what we do in the Easter liturgy, in a sense, it's like a time machine where we walk with Jesus through Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. Yeah, it's a bit different to the to the remembrance stuff because um, we are putting ourselves in the place of those followers at the time. So when we remember Palm Sunday, we are... We are part of that procession, or we are part of that crowd welcoming Jesus in. Because I thought I don't think we've said this a lot on the podcast that really there's no real difference between human beings today and what they were like two thousand years yeah. ago fundamentally, and that's the question we're trying to ask in the um, throughout this course is if I was there on Palm Sunday. How would I behave? What would I yeah, do? Yeah, well, I loved that, that question that you had. What? The question where it said, who are the goodies and who are the baddies in the story? Yeah. And, and because we've always painted people as goodies and baddies, like you have in every story. Yeah. Um, and then the next question, the follow-up bit was, and who, who, who would you be? What would you do? If you were in that crowd, what would you have done? You know, and that's, that's the, the real sort of... Um, and that's the crunching question. And that's the profound question that we have every year is the truth is there's no goodies and baddies in Holy Week. They're all a mixture of everything. I think they're all and they're all got equivalents today. Yeah. You know, they're not, you know, Pilate just couldn't care less because he did it every all the time. But see, I don't think that's true. Do you think he was I think he he sought to be just in what he did, which is why he wanted. But he could now he made mistakes. Yeah, he wouldn't have, if he was clever. He wouldn't have stuck Jesus of Nazareth up against Jesus Barabbas because um, Barabbas was the rebel that the people wanted. Maybe yeah, and I think as well with we'll get into this. When we talk about Good Friday, but the thing is with him, he's not a maniacal, psychopathic, evil man, is he? No. And and neither is uh, neither are the crowd. They're just people who get carried away. Yeah, like all of us. And I think in entering into the story, we find out who we are, but also as well, it changes how we see the world because, especially in our polarized world now, everybody is portrayed as a goodie or a baddie. Yeah, and I think in doing the Holy Week story and doing this course, we stop ourselves doing that in seeing the world as goodies and baddies you know gb news versus i don't know channel 4 news or one whatever. of the people on the course 
on Monday night, had a really insightful answer as to how you can tell who the good is and the bad is are. Oh, yeah. Apparently, the good is where white hats and the bad is where <laughs> black hats. And, and they'd mixed it in with the cowboy films on the telly. <laughs> and I, I thought that was, you know, how do we tell who the good is and bad is are? And she instantly went, well, the good is the ones in the white hats. And I was like, what? That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it is when you think but about it. But it is, it's, it's, it's the old cowboy films, isn't it? Yeah. It's very clear distinction. Yeah, and we saw that in Wheel of Time, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, the goodies are all white. Right, so in a minute we'll be talking about um, my pick for the TV, which I then regretted when I watched it. Um, The documentary on Channel 4 about the minor strike. Yeah. You're listening to those Vicar Blokes. Don't forget to subscribe, follow us on whatever platform you're listening on, and tell your mates. Dave, I'll let you talk about this a bit more now because well, you've watched the first one, haven't you? I've watched the first one. I watched the first three minutes of the second one as well, but then thought, actually, I can't. You can't watch stomach back this back. for any longer. Yeah, you can't watch them back um, to back. No, that yeah. was the problem. I think. Um, so do you and I thought we were going to go into a different town, but anyway, we 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 hadn't at that point. Yeah, we were on to Law and Order. Yeah. Um, so 1984 into 1985. Um, Margaret Thatcher um, announced that the coal industry was basically going to be wound down and the um, collieries would be shut. And that obviously affected a great number of jobs. Um, it, yeah, she was going to... The coal board, not Thatcher, the coal board said they wanted to shut 20 pets. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but she, it was a decision that she supported. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, really, yeah. she she was Prime Minister at the time. It was kind of... Yeah. Um, but it was a nationalised industry, wasn't it? So they yeah. shut 20 pits, yeah. Um, and and therefore, um, the union that was looking after the miners um, and Arthur Scargill, who was head of that union... Um, took a ballot on whether or not there should be a strike. And interestingly, the town that the first episode focused on voted against strike action. Mm. Um, but they called the strike anyway on all of these pits. And they stayed out for a year. And what happened then was that initially you get the the people who refused to go on strike, all of which I am sure have perfectly valid reasons not to join in with that strike. Mm. Um and they were subject to the abuse of everybody else. But as time rolls on and people's debts rack up mm. and their quality of life is suffering as a result, more and more people decided they were going to go back to work and not maintain the strike. And I think that it's fair to say there was right and wrong on all sides of it. Um, the attitude of the government at the time was not good. The response of the police at the time was aggressive and um, confrontational and not good. The response of those who chose to be on strike was not good towards, particularly towards the the wives and children of of those who had gone back to work. Mm. Um, Because I don't think it's it's fair that you ever impose poverty on somebody else and that was the reality that they were that they were doing um i think yeah is yeah basically the problem was they never had a national ballot the no. never the the each of the areas is set up like a bit like the church you know your diocese but they never had a follow-up ballot either did no. they well, that was the thing. They never had. They never the, exercised democracy. No, they didn't. No. So basically, the um, each of the areas, the regions, basically sent delegates to to um, the national office, and they had a ballot. They they voted there to go on strike, right? But not in them sure they were against it, right? They were against the strike, yeah. so they wouldn't go out. But everybody else went out. So that was the problem, and that the the it focused on a fill on a, a little village, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. And that village is like in Derbyshire, so it's kind of on the edge of those coal fields, 
of the Nottinghamshire Derbyshire Coalfield. So that's why um it was uh Sparkbrook, wasn't it? Is um that's why he was so divided there in the town because they was yeah. So yeah, I can remember. It was a bit hard me watching it really because I could remember bits of like I was about seven when it was on. So it was the year that I bridged going from infant school to juniors. Yeah, yeah. And there was one guy in the whole valley who went to work, and he lived two streets below me. And when he went to work, they used to have a kind of um, cop car in the front behind, one in front and one behind, to kind of escort him to yeah. work, right? And uh, everyone used to chuck bricks at him. And they wrote, um, like, kids as well. You know those kids shouting yeah, scab yeah. and all that? Shouting right? scab, yeah. scab, yeah. Playing on the side of the road, and then scab, all of a sudden yeah, here yeah, come yeah. the buses and... Yeah, well, we did that, but it was like one, but it was one guy in a car, and there's a there's a brilliant YouTube. Well, it's not brilliant. There's a YouTube video knocking around a few found a few years ago, of like um, with the immortal words of "Then the women attacked," which is the women were part of the picket in the, um, the furnace-like plant where he worked, and as the car went in, because his wife used to drive him into work every yeah. day, right? Because they blamed her. They did. Uh, and basically, it wasn't the men who attacked the car. The women, all of they, they yeah. smashed the car to bits. They wild, but it's just it was it was a difficult watch for me, really, because it was it was like watching, <laughs> it's sort of watching the destruction of your way of life. Yeah, but see, from yeah, it's like just it's like it, it, it's just awful. But you're being cut off, aren't you? As 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 a product of evolution. That's the problem. Yeah, I think... Yeah, it I is. mean, yeah, that the was... reality is, sooner or later, that, that coal scene would have would have dried up. There would have been no coal to be had from it. Mm. And that village would have still been left desolate. Maybe. That's the problem. Um, it's not desolate now, though, is it? Because it's got Sports Direct I think. I think you're looking at it. it. I, think, I think what they... What did come across very well, I thought, in the film was the sense of identity and community that um, industrial Britain had. Yeah. Because it's not just coal, it's factories as well. Yeah, and uh, absolutely. Like yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got it going on now, haven't we, with poor Talbot, with Tata yeah, still pulling it. Exactly, yeah. Um, because it's to do with that's the last one, isn't it, really? Because you used to have Clan Wern Steelworks as well and yeah. all sorts of other things. But the thing is with it is, is what I was saying about that statue for the industry, is the the factory or the um, the factory or the mine, you're working together in a community, in a risky and dangerous environment, you know. Yeah. Um, and what that does, it develops a sense of sort of brotherhood and community there, which you share, which is why the men were so desperate to get down the pit, not for the money. Not for anything else, because they wanted to be part of that heritage and that story and that sense of identity that that, that work provided. So it's not just about, oh, they had money so they could go on holidays or whatever. It's to do with who you are, what your place is about, because each of these places only exist because of that colliery. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it, yeah, that came up at the end of the thing, didn't it? They were turned from a village of... 300 and whatever I think it was up to 14,000 because that it built around that around the pit know. yeah so really is that the only reason for the place to exist is that it's all heritage it's all um, history is based around this one thing or around industry without industry who are you how do you how do you uh, integrate with other with other men in particular how do you be who you are. Who are you? What is the point of you? And I think, like with human work, like you worked on the buses and that, that's individual work, really, isn't it, at the end of the day. You're it, a bus driver on your own, you know? Yeah. Well, I suppose. Um, but actually, some of the older drivers on there hark back to when the social club was open and when this, that and the other happened, you know, and... and and it had more of a sense of community and family links through it. Um, yeah. Uh, and so there, there were, but that 
that had gone by the time I was on there, if you know what I mean. But that's the thing. But if that's the there was like, a sense of collegiality. Yeah, but not. I think there's no danger. Way. I think I think is a sense in factories and in particularly in mines. There's a sense of danger that at the end of the day, if the mine collapses, you've got to rely on the men around you to pull you out. Yeah, and I think in those areas there are. Lots and lots and lots of examples of mining disasters where people were killed and stuff, and then the they they pulled you out. Yeah. So there's there's a whole deep history in the place, and I think what the strike did was it just destroyed destroyed communities on every axis. So it destroyed it financially. Uh, spiritually, community, emotionally, identity, just wiped, wiped it all out. And I think that's happened all over the country with, you know, the steelworks, the docks, everything. And I think it's just, it's 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 just awful on it on what was done in what ten years. It's between yeah. 1980 and 1990. By 1990, they've all... Sh- it wasn't just the mines. It was all the factories that shut as well. You know, you go to those communities now, it's full of old people. It's all the young people are left. There's nothing left. Yeah. Well, we're post-industrial, aren't we? That's the trouble. Yeah. Um, but for... But that, and-, and I don't think... I don't think there's a huge appetite for re-industrial. That's the... Well, why not? I, I can't say why not. Probably because our education system is such that um, we, we educate to be aspirational for university, for all the rest of it. Well, maybe that's why we're so sad. Maybe that has a lot to do with it. If you were like that lad there, you say. If you don't go to uni, you've seen. You're kind of viewed now that you failed, aren't you? Yeah. But if you think about it now, like. That lad, he was saying he wanted to go down the pit and all that, right? yeah. yeah, or join the factory or whatever. He joins that, he's with other people, he's got a good wage coming in, he's enough to do whatever he wants to do. They won't have a massive amount of money, but they'll have enough to live on, enough to go on holidays, you know, to whatever, and do bits and bobs. They can do that. They've got friends that they're with all day. Yeah. You know, they're part of a bigger thing that's bigger than them. You know, that's... Priceless, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and, of course, we've taken a, a, a further step away from that, haven't we? Because although we became post-industrial we, we and we became service-focused mm. in, in, in a lot of ways, um, the increase in working from home is an increase in individuality. Yeah. You, you know, notionally, you might be part of a team, but you might never see the other members of your team. Yeah. Because one of you's in on a Monday, and one's in on a Tuesday, and one's in on a Wednesday. See you on a Zoom call. And then you only got one. You only get need one desk. Yeah. You know. And that's why it's all done. It's sort of post-human, really. Yeah, but it's pro the idea that you can that you can live on on, on your own and be isolated and still be happy. Yeah. Um, whereas the reality that. is that we're much like all the other animals, and we survive much better if we stick together and and rely on each other. It's anti-human. That's our evolutionary strategy: is to be a. Social well, I think animal. it's worse than anti-human. It's anti-nature. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's anti-nature. You go yeah. against our our nature. Yeah, but we beings. think we're better than that because we're human. We think we're better than that because we're clever. Yeah, yeah, basically. I think the only last thing to say about it is two things really is how I was surprised, you know, sister are talking about it, how it's affected our view of the police because you didn't see the all grief one, did you? I, I know. You need to watch the all grief. That was the one. next one yeah. on and I, I couldn't I couldn't watch that. Is the Battle of All Grief is we've never trusted the police <laughs> because of that. Because our remembrances of we well not so much my wife, but me um, that's what we remembered as kids. You know, even if you watched it on the telly, yeah. the men who were being beaten up, the men who, those sorts of things, were 
people who's with dads. If I'm, if I'm honest, and, I, I no. saw the, the intro to the second one. Yeah. And it was like, you know, they're trying to hit you where it hurts, and, but they never hit the head. And then it showed the the police, you know, going hell for leather with the truncheon around people's heads. And and, and that's what put me off watching it. But you know what injustice. I'm like with the blood and the guts and the yeah, gore of it all. Yeah, yeah. And but, I I didn't want to I didn't want to watch that because because to me that's just the the inhumanity of man is not something I want to. But I think what, see. It, what you see there in it really is that um, what you have all the time is the miners were pawns in somebody else's game. Is you had Scargill who wanted to overthrow the government because he was basically a communist and he wanted to use the mines and the power of the unions to overthrow the government, right? Yeah. That's true. That is what he wanted to do. Yeah. And he didn't care about the men. I don't, you know, no, no, he, he Emma, clearly didn't care about the men because he didn't care that they were a year no, without any money. Emma's um, uh, granddad used to work in the, he was a miner, right? And he retired just before the strike. And every time Scargill came on the telly, he goes, he's not for the men, he's not for the men. He's not popular in mining communities as Scargill, right? And then you had Thatcher and all her lot who basically wanted to destroy the unions because of all the trouble they caused in the 70s. And in the middle of it, you've got ordinary people who aren't interested in the politics. They aren't interested in all these sort of fights that they're having. All they want to do is maintain their community that they, that they live in. But then they became the ones who were in the fight. They were the foot soldiers for whichever side they <laughs> exactly. they ended up on. So whether it's the policeman or the um or the miner, they're both pawns in somebody else's game, aren't they? Well, they're collateral. Yeah, because they don't matter. And they don't matter. And I think that's the thing that comes across is that I think this is the thing that you get growing up in those communities. You get this this sense of you don't matter. Everybody here doesn't matter. We don't care. We're going to destroy this, and we don't care. And they, and well, I it's quite interesting because I've, I've never lived through that narrative, and even if anybody had ever tried to impose that narrative on me, I've always been strong enough in my faith to know that I matter to God. Yeah, and that yeah. that is a fundamental part of my life. We're all created equal. We're all equal in the eyes of God. Um, if anything. Your power on earth will be will hold you to a greater account mm. in the kingdom of heaven. It won't get you any favors. You're you're going to have to justify the decisions that you make. Yeah, and the last thing to say, right of all about Orgreave, is probably the other thing is because they lied about it and they do put it in there about that how the media lied about everything to do with the day, right? And how the BBC deliberately swapped the tapes around. To yeah, portray, well, you know, the like, media yeah. are just shields for the government most of the time. Well, it's still the case. Yeah, exactly. And I think having grown up with that, where you knew people who were there and then would say it wasn't like that, I think it does. I think the, the minor strike was ahead of the curve is when people say we now live in a post-truth society. I think that people with a bit more power have just caught up to the fact that we were in a post-truth society in 1984. And they've just caught up with it. It would be interesting to know whether or not it start, started in 1984, whether or not it could be traced back even further than that, because I suspect it probably could. Probably, yeah. Probably. But I think growing up in it, that's the thing. Oh, well, it was certainly the case when you think about it at the first Easter when the Sanhedrin <laughs> went, went to Pilate. That was definitely post-truth then. Well, when Pilate says to uh, Jesus, what is truth, isn't it? Yeah. And that's the thing, what yeah, yeah. is true? We needn't think it was invented in 1984. It's no. been around for a long, long time. No. Um, I think just the recognition that that perhaps things aren't as honest as we f- at first thought they were. Yeah, so when, um, the, when the government says such and maybe such Maybe we thing, are enlightened. Maybe. Well, I don't know about that. Anyway, so next week we're talking about St. David, uh, and we're talking about uh, the second thing, Palm Sunday on the course. And what are we watching? Have you got any clues? What no. are we watching? No, I'm... Well, Dave will pick some in, yeah? I better pick it now, hang on. Right, Dave's found something. What's I found it, and I, I, I've not seen anything of it. I've just read the the synopsis. 
where it says, This drama exploring an otherworldly mystery delivers spiritual and emotional satisfaction. So we're going to watch it to see if that's true. It's called Manifest. It's on Netflix. It's a 12. Um, so we won't get an over 18 rating for it. Um, so Manifest. We'll see you next time then. Manifest in the big in the year.